0: Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at the buglepodcast.com.
1: That, that bit's important.
2: Hiring for your small
0: business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Well, here we are, earncasters, I'm Andy Zaltzman, and for the seventh time in Nine Ashes series, England have successfully achieved our national mission, our destiny even, of being 2-0 down after two tests in Australia. Uh, A curious Adelaide test match ended in another whooping defeat for England, this time by 275 runs to add to their nine wicket oofing in Brisbane. I'm joined, as always, by my fellow Urncaster, Felicity Ward. Felicity, this whole game was eerily familiar from pretty much start to finish.
2: Mm, mm. Look, firstly, my condolences, Andy, as always. I like to open the show with condolence. I mean, even if we win, condolence or lose.
0: When we do this in four years' time, Felicity, for England's next Ashes Tour of Australia, can you just do the condolences in the series preview show so we don't have to keep coming back to them week after week?
2: I think I've actually got a clip here from 1994. Hi, Andy, just condolences. Um, I'm at Gosford High School. It's (laughs) 1994. I've got a middle parting and I'm um I'm wearing a Nirvana t-shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, seven out of nine and one of the other two. So so the exceptions were the 2010 mm. 11 Ashes when England pulled out an incredible draw in Brisbane, 517 for one in the second innings, would you believe? Which I think is more runs than they've scored in both test matches combined, if I can lie that right. and exaggerate. And 1998-99, where they lost the second test and would have lost the first test had it not poured with rain after tea on the final day. So effectively, eight, eight out of nine. But we'll call it yeah. seven out of nine.
2: I think it helps them. I think it's a right. mindset thing. They like being the underdog. Nobody likes being in front do they
0: that's when you're most vulnerable isn't it yeah
2: exactly if you're a predator then you look for the person that's at the head of the pack
0: well this is a very good point you make Felicity because in 1936-37 England went 2-0 up and then lost 3-2 so that proves that it's the worst thing to do in an Ashes series is to go 2-0 up if you're England
2: I was actually going to bring that up but I'm glad you did yeah
0: Well, England did drag it out a bit. I mean, they did extend the end. They you know they they, they yeah. slowed the pace of their inevitable demise. Josh Butler's it I mean it had extraordinary innings from him. Joss Butler, for those less familiar with cricket, is one of the most spectacular white ball players, one day cricket, T twenty cricket that there has ever been. He's played some of the most extraordinary innings. He is capable of playing shots that not even he can imagine playing. That that's how incredible <clears throat> he is. He plays shots that I think surprise even himself. He defies the laws of physics when he plays white ball cricket on a regular basis. In tests, he's generally not been that successful. He's not been completely unsuccessful. He's had ups and downs. He's had a few uh, really good innings for England, not necessarily massive ones, but ones that have helped turn games. But recently, his batting has been kind of beset by all manner of sort of doubt mm. outside off stump. The first three innings of the series caught behind edging outside off stump. And in, in the second innings, with England facing almost inevitable defeat, he edged one right at the start on naught. Should have been caught behind. Alex Carey, in his second test, did what very few Australian wicketkeepers do and allowed pity to take precedence <laughs> and just kindly watched the ball. I mean, he, it's, you know, the, the brotherhood of wicketkeepers. <laughs> he knows what Butler's been going through. Butler it's had, a code. Butler had had a terrible, terrible game with the gloves. He'd taken. Some really spectacular catches and dropped some really horrific ones.
2: Some of the best catches you've ever seen and some of the easiest drops you've <laughs> yes. ever seen.
0: So he should have been out for naught in both innings. As it was, Kerry let him off because he's obviously that kind of guy. And also mm. playing in his home home city, Alex Kerry, and maybe a bit excited and just wanted... You know, he didn't want the game to end. Maybe Kerry didn't want the game to end too soon because he was enjoying himself. So He, thought, he was
2: homesick. Yeah.
0: Then Butler, uh, who's capable of scoring incredibly quickly, scored the third slowest innings of over 200 balls ever recorded in tests. Now, not all of the early tests have balls-faced recorded, but even so, that's a lot of games. Only twice has a player batted more than 200 balls at a slower rate of runs per ball. He knocked A.B. de Villiers out of the top three a similar player to Butler in, in some ways, much more successful in test cricket, but an equally brilliant one-day player capable of going full defensive. And it was it was a, a, a extraordinary to watch someone battling their own brilliance uh, in the, yep. the, the, the sort of futile hope of getting a draw.
2: That is the great ambivalence of having skill in one day and test. Because what you want to do when you're in test is probably just just bash the shit out of it. <laughs> just hit it to the boundary nonstop. Unfortunately, it's a different game. It's a longer game, so you want to do that. But what you have to do is just play bat to ball, bat to ball. So it was two hundred and six deliveries, and he yeah. got twenty six. Is that right?
0: I think it was maybe two hundred and seven deliveries. Oh well, the two hundred seventh was the one that he was out, and then he was out.
2: Oh god! In a
0: really really odd way. Uh, he was hit wicket. He he, he stepped back. and was, for Butler is a player who doesn't always move his feet in, uh, mm. in test cricket. And he got out because he moved his feet too well. He went too far back to play a ball off the back foot, trod yes. on a stump, out hit wicket. The first England batter to be out hit wicket in a test in Australia since Dennis Compton in 1947.
2: Jeez Louise. I mean, affectionately, one of the commentators described it as a little too deep in his crease. Yeah, if you're kicking the stumps that are behind you, I would say you are a little too deep in your crease. If you're getting yourself out with not a bat or a ball or the other team, if you're getting that's a little too deep in his crease, and I think because of this performance of the amazing catches of the terrible drops of getting himself out, this almost definitely sees him off the team or promoted.
0: <laughs> Both. Maybe he'll be non-playing captain in the next match. He'll be promoted. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And dropped simultaneously. We'll touch a little more on Butler when uh, when we are joined by our guest this week, Nish Kumar. Stand back, it's a stat whack. Stat whack. Felicity, some sensational stats in this game. David Warner out for the second test innings in a row in the 90s. The last Australian player to do that against England was Clem Hill in 1902. Adelaide resident, there's a statue of him outside the ground where Warner scored his uh, second 90s score of the series. Clem Hill in the 1901-02 Ashes. Scored consecutively in three innings, 99, 98 and 97. A heroic display of 100 avoidance. We used to have this thing in in my village team. If you scored a 50 or took five wickets, you had to buy a jug of beer afterwards. And if you were out in the 40s, you were accused of jug avoidance. You know, to basically (laughs) save your money and not get beer for your teammates. And I I think I'm pretty sure that was happening with Clem Hill. I don't know if it's happening with Warner. At the moment, but uh, that was an, a nice little statistical quirk.
2: I think that would be very unlikely that any Australian would be avoiding beer.
0: <laughs> I mentioned earlier on how England had seven different wicket takers. That's the first time England have had seven different wicket takers in a test since January nineteen sixty five, and the first time against Australia since eighteen ninety eight at the MCG. Uh, there were twelve different wicket takers in the test in all. I was I got very excited felicity uh, towards the end when labachain and then travis head were bowling oh. that if there'd been a 13th wicket i think it would have been the first time i'm remembering my stat from when i was looking it up i think it would have been the first time in ashes history there'd been 13 oh, different wickets oh so
2: close so close tests.
0: status interrupt us <laughs> uh, the duck count england up to 49 slightly disappointing performance in the second inning. it's just hamid's duck when it looked like the all-time record of 54 in a calendar year was there for the taking, they're going to need five ducks at the MCG to equal that record, six ducks to set a new record.
2: I believe in them.
0: Currently held by the England team from 1998, who I think played a couple more Test matches as well. So it's been a frankly heroic effort by England Mm -hmm. this year. It's uh, often said that uh, someone who scores a duck does not trouble the scorers. But let me tell you, as someone who scores at cricket games, someone getting out for a duck is far more work than someone not getting out for a duck. (laughs) The test started rather dramatically just a few hours before the start of the game. Pat Cummins, the uh, Mm. ridiculously perfect human being who's Australian cricket captain, uh, since the uh, whole Tim payne Plonker incident, um, was ruled out of the test after being identified as a close contact of one of the handful of people in South Australia who had tested positive uh, for COVID. So with hours to go, mm-hmm. Cummins was out, uh, and Steve Smith, see previous episodes of this show and its previous incarnation, him, was re-promoted to lead Australia for the first time since the sandpaper and the jockstrap incident. Yeah, yeah which is a Morrissey song as well, I think.
2: (laughs) Yeah, from his vegetarian years.
0: (laughs) So Cummins was ruled out, and everyone was thinking, oh, was this the stroke of luck that England needed? Like Glenn McGrath in the second test of 2005, Australia won the first test. McGrath, the greatest greatest seam bowler in the world at the time, trod on a ball, twisted his ankle, ruled out the second test. Could this be... A moment of luck like that when England came back and ended up winning that series. Hazelwood was already out of the series. So two of the top four bowlers in the in the world rankings out of the Australian team. Surely this would turn for England bullshit. Uh, bullshit. By the end of the first day, it was uh, 220 for two and pretty much nothing had happened apart from a load of drop catches and a lot of defensive shots and just the numbing sense of inevitable failure despite... This moment of luck. Mm. What would England have needed, Felicity? I mean, how many strokes of luck would England need to be competitive in this? I mean, what are they? Need? Would they need like a full asteroid strike on the Australian team bus as it goes in? Would they need you know, all the players simultaneously to suddenly find God and devote themselves to religion mm. after the toss on the morning of a game so they can't be replaced and just have, you know, sit at the crease meditating for the entire game? Would that be enough for England to win?
2: I doubt it. Right. I think anything short of Steve Smith saying, I'm going to play for England, meant that <laughs> Adelaide wasn't going to go well for them. They're really struggling with the bat. They're struggling with the bat. They're struggling with openers. They're struggling to find form. They're struggling with uh, the, ch- the choices that they have. Their choices are, are limited. It's just, it's a tricky, it's a tricky time. I know that they can pull it out. Just like Tim Payne, they can pull it out. <laughs>
0: What they did very well with was loads of bowlers taking wickets. Now, seven different England players took wickets uh, because uh, Roots, who bowls quite a lot, generally the sixth bowler, and David Milan, who hardly ever bowls, picked up a couple of wickets. And Mm. that happened happened in... No team on either side of the Ashes had had seven different players take a wicket in a single Ashes test since 1898. As master plans go, it's a f***ing shit one because the problem with... (laughs) <laughs> Milan taking wickets is it means that no one else who's supposed to be taking wickets was taking enough wickets. But apart from that, mm. it was a nice little moment of history.
2: I mean, good for morale. Yeah. Uh, basically what it says is none of us can bat but all of us can bowl. <laughs> and that's the silver lining that we're looking for here. You know, they are almost all-rounders. If the batsmen were getting runs, they would be all-rounders. Yeah. But the batsmen are getting wickets, which right. is... I think we're having two very different experiences here. You've got Australia who are trying to shore up a new captain, which we then lose to COVID. Steve Smith's still trying to convince people he's trustworthy. We're still trying to earn back people's respect as a team of individuals who've been called cheaters and arrogant and bullies. And England are just trying not to lose their only reliable batsman slash captain to a broken testicle. (laughs) So, Andy, it's coming up to Christmas. We're all excited. excited. It's very exciting. And as you know, Santa's got his list every year. Who's been naughty? Who's been nice? I've got a couple of exclusives that Santa sent through. And I just want to let you know who's been naughty and who's been nice. Stuart Broad's been nice. He goes on the list for wearing a Karate Kid Ralph Macchio-style headband. And that's a great stocking filler if you've got kids who love England and you also have no money. (laughs) The England cricket fans. Go on the nice list. Right. Because it was really brought uh, to the forefront last week when Daniel Norcross was on and he was talking about how much hope he has to have year in, year out, not knowing how his team will perform. That England fans believe they're going to win despite decades of evidence to the contrary is absolutely inspiring. You know, we're, we're picking through personalities going, I don't know if this person's respectable enough to be on our team. You've actually got to say can they catch a ball. <laughs> so the England fans go on the nice list and finally um Pat Cummins is on the naughty list. Ooh. Oh sorry I've missed no 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 I've misread that. A lot of women would like to tell Pat Cummins that they are naughty. I've absolutely got that <laughs> right, wrong, okay. I'm
0: sorry. I've heard being right here on on the ground in Australia quite how excited the teams are about Christmas this mm. year. Stockings are already being been hung up in some of the players' hotel rooms and um well i've also got leaked the the christmas list from the ecb for what they've asked santa claus for they've asked for a promising young batsman who doesn't suffer an alarming career aggression a fast bowler mm. who doesn't snap and a few high quality south africans because the supply appears to have dried up in recent years <laughs> so hopefully good a news. very
2: tall order for santa
0: good news in time for the boxing day test
2: So,
0: firstly, Steve Smith, back as captain, as I said, for the first time since the incident mm. that led to Australia having the absolute rogue grandmother of national moral meltdowns, uh, albeit yeah. at a time when it was quite happily imprisoning women and children in cages uh, on far flung islands to stop them getting Andy? into Australia. But
2: you know it still is do not <laughs> not in the past tense thank you. <laughs> it did
0: strike me at the time that there was, uh, there were different moralities applied to Australian cricket captains as compared to uh, defenceless women and children which was a little awkward I think a little awkward I'm not saying only Australia uh, only Australia does this, but it was kind of odd to see the, the Prime Minister at the time Malcolm Turnbull you know deciding that at some point a line in the sand must be uh, urinated from the penis of political practicality. But Steve Smith you know built himself back up. Came back into the team after his year ban. Batted pretty much as well as anyone's ever batted in the Ashes in 2019. Since when his form's been a little up and down. But got to Captain Australia again. It felt, as he walked out, that you know that certainly the crowd at the ground were fully behind him. And, you know, it's hard to kind of gauge these things. I know there's still some people who think he should be probably, you know, nailed to a rock, Prometheus style, and have his liver ripped out by... Mm. A, a cricket ball shaped eagle every day, but I, I thought it was yeah, you know it was a, I thought it was quite a nice moment really for a you know a, a, a fascinating flawed player.
2: Yeah, he is a fascinating flawed player, and interesting watching the interviews with him, he actually seemed genuinely humble. I've sort of seen him have a bit of a larrikinish ish attitude and, you know, a little bit of, like, cheeky mates with, the, you know, one of the boys, we've got our secrets, we don't tell you, like, you know, sandpaper in our pants. But he was really complimentary towards the England team at the end of the game, uh, again, which... Is an easy thing to do, but not necessarily something that Australians do.
0: You say it was an easy thing to do. Given how England have played, I'd say it was quite a hard thing to do. I'd say (laughs) that's a real effort. Real effort. He had to really kind of rifle through his mental scorecard there to find a few positives for England.
2: Fossicking. (laughs) Fossicking through five days of shit to find glass which looks like a diamond. (laughs)
0: Well uh, as part of the media contingent at the Ashes uh, the Bugle Ashes Uncast is, is privileged to be able to go to the post-match press conferences which are being held remotely uh, during this series and ask the questions that you want to hear the answers to. Steve, Andy Zaltzman, um, Bugle Ashes Encaster, I understand that uh, you're looking forward to Christmas um, particularly this year. Is this because last year you, Pat Cummins and Justin Langer all received lovely presents from Santa Claus? Um, just tell us how that unfolded.
1: Uh, I had no idea overnight um, what was going on. I um, only found out first thing in the morning when I had two missed calls from Pat and a message from JL saying, uh, are you awake? Um, and I thought, gee, something's going on here. I don't know what it is, but something's going on.
2: Steve Smith, uh, Felicity Ward from the Bugle Ashes Earncast here. How old were you when you discovered the photon is a type of elementary particle, the, the quantum of the electromagnetic field?
1: Uh, I think I found out around, uh must have been 10
2: or 11.
1: Well,
0: it's time for our uh, guest's contributor this week, uh, the Bugle Earncast's cricket correspondent, Nish Kumar. Um, congratulations on uh, being appointed to this highly prestigious role, Nish. Huge step up, huge <laughs> step up. <laughs> As our official cricket correspondent, analyse what the hell went on in that game in Adelaide, because it was a really... Odd game that began with some of the slowest batting of modern Ashes series by Australia. David Warner, you know, in the past a sort of pyrotechnic attacking player, playing his most <laughs> defensive start to an innings ever. Manuš Labuschagne who's been really fluent throughout his test career playing that at the it was the second slowest test hundred by an Australian in the last 29 years. Uh, England played well f- in patches of that game and by patches I mean for about two lots of an hour and a half <laughs>
1: uh, after the result had largely been decided. Give me something to cling to Nish. Listen guys, I've put uh, the information of that uh, test into a complex algorithm and uh, <laughs> it's yielded this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: That was what came out of the algorithm.
2: Nish, for the layman who doesn't understand science, <laughs> how would you describe that in words?
1: <laughs> I've got a lot of questions for you, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. What are you playing <laughs> at, mate? Well, You're uh, on the scene. Sneeze on Steve Smith. <laughs> Do something. Pull a fire alarm. <laughs> the second you get into the MCG, again, crossing all fingers that we all mm-hmm. get in there, the second you get into the MCG, you need to immediately establish where the nearest smoke detector is and have a <laughs> bin full of flammable wood at the ready.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of going about it, I guess. And probably more likely than, you know, England suddenly discovering a functioning opening pair.
2: Oh. But I
0: mean, it's we we watch sport to see, you know, things that are unprecedented. And there were actually a couple of things in this, this, this match that were, you know, statistically at least, essentially either unprecedented or hadn't happened for ages and ages. But, Nish... Has this Ashes series set a new record for the most uses of the term it's been a chastening day for England (laughs) within the first two tests of a series? I know England always do badly in the first two tests in Australia, as discussed earlier on. But I I think we've had now nine days of, of play and I think eight of them at least have been chastening.
1: It's the most frequent use of the phrase a chastening day for England I've heard since the news every single day for the last five years. <laughs> it was very poor stuff. And there is a fantastic concept I would absolutely love to uh, introduce to the English bowling yeah. attack. And that is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, a good length. I don't know if they've, if they've ever heard of this expression. I mean, it's real Brexit cricket, Andy. It's real Brexit <laughs> cricket, okay? The basic premise right. of Brexit was to drag the country back 50 years. The cricket team have looked at that and gone, what's our translation? Body line. Right. So everyone get the brill cream out and let's bo- let's bowl some absolutely short nonsense. <laughs> When I watched uh, last summer, as I did uh, last Australian summer, or as uh, we call it in the correct hemisphere, winter.
0: Winter, that's the term we're looking for
1: there. When I watched a a group of uh, Indians uh, with a combined age of (laughs) Jimmy Anderson uh, absolutely (laughs) demolish uh, Australia, I did not anticipate uh, less than 12 months later I would be staring into the glee-filled eyes of Felicity Ward (laughs) as a group of English adults gets absolutely trounced all over the park. I mean, the tactics are as unfathomable as the way Marcus Labuschagne leaves a ball outside his own stump. <laughs> <laughs> so can you just...
0: I mean, for, for, for those listening to this show who who, who haven't seen much of this cricket, or haven't seen much of specifically Manus Labashain, now apart from his, his ridiculous name, he's a, he was born in South Africa, moved to Australia when he was about 10, and it's a South African name that should be pronounced Labashakni, but I mean, even for Australia, this sounded too disgusting, and uh, so he's changed it to to Labashane.
2: Labashane. Yeah. Well, if he's put a Shane in there, it he automatically becomes more Australian. You are. You get automatic entry into it, the Australian Asher team if your name is Mitchell or Shane. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those
0: South African names that sounds like someone is.
1: On the verge of dying when they just pronounce it correctly. I can't stop calling him Marcus and it's as if my brain is auto-correcting him. (laughs) As the word Manus is leaving my mouth, my brain is putting red underlining underneath it and saying, do you mean Marcus? Do you mean Marcus? (laughs) what What does Labashain come out as? Labuschagne weirdly has absolutely it has absolutely no problems with lauding them. Maybe there was a period where I called him Marcus Schillaburth, but <laughs> and, and now we've managed to add for some reason we've managed to add Labuschagne to the brains
0: dictionary. On the subject of length, Nish, and there was a lot of talk about this, and I looked at the I've got the access to the data, and there wasn't a huge difference between the two teams inside. We're looking at the first thirty overs, and the ball was quite new. Uh, and the seam bowlers on each team. there wasn't a huge difference in length, and there was almost no difference in the number of balls that were, would go on to hit the stumps. But there was a massive difference in the amount of balls each team's batsman left. The Australia left 33% in each innings, pretty much, and England 25%. So it's coming to that, which might not sound like a huge difference, but in the context of cricket, that's playing at a lot more balls that you don't need to play at. The big difference between the bowling attacks was speed, that Nisa was the fourth fastest Australian behind Stark, Green and Jai Richardson. And he was quicker than the quickest of England's five
1: seasons. Aye. The length for England's bowlers is unfathomable if you haven't selected Mark Wood. <laughs> yes. It doesn't make any sense. If you're playing Broad Anderson, Robinson, Wokes, Foursome, it's only really Ben Stokes that has the ability to get the ball to sort of talk off a short length. The rest of them are full-length swing bowlers. Yes. And the the idea of trying to get Ollie Robinson to bowl like Kirtley Ambrose is a bit like me releasing a tour in which I do Richard Pryor's live in concert in <laughs> in that it is a decision as unfathomable as it is fundamentally offensive.
2: Yes. I would still pay to see that, to be fair.
1: <laughs> it is
2: fair
0: to say that Ben Stokes was making the ball talk and what he was making the ball say was, why are you doing this to me?
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Stokes to me is I mean, a victim of his own talents in that he can bowl in about 25 different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a toy and Joe Root just says, "Oh, we need someone to bowl bouncers." And he sort of does does whatever the team needs him to do, but he didn't really uh...
2: Well, Joe Root got very angry in a post-match interview yeah, I saw just that. saying, "We need to bowl full. We need to bowl good and full." <laughs> And we learnt this mistake four years ago and we haven't learned. It's like, are you saying that when they're on the field as well? Or is this just like a PASAG way of sending them a text message?
1: <laughs> to be fair, Joe Root is, I mean, who knows what he's thinking at the moment. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. The gods of metaphor laid it on a bit oh. thick.
0: Well, well, Nish, I want, I want to ask you this. As someone who studied, you know, the entire history of humanity to find yeah. out the shittest days people have had. <laughs> Let's just talk talk people through Joe Root on day four of the Adelaide test. Um, when, yeah, we in the BBC had a bit of a troublesome day, but nothing's compare with Joe, Joe Root. <laughs> yeah. Around about 9am, got hit full in the nuts during pre-game practice throwdowns, whilst, crucially and bafflingly, not wearing a box uh, and, quotes quote, uh, a, a, a nut protector. He then has to go to hospital to have a scan on his crushed testicles.
1: One of the more embarrassing uh, admissions <laughs> forms, I imagine people have ever filled out in their lives. Yes. What um, does that?
2: What does that come back as? Uh, you've actually got an exploded urethra. What is that? I don't know. Your epididymis has snapped in half.
0: I assume he was in a queue at the hospital with people with shampoo bottles where they're not supposed to be, claiming to have yeah. slipped in the bath. <laughs> he was in the hospital thinking two things. One, why was I not wearing a box? And Ow! <sighs> then at 10 a.m. England starts bowling, and they bowl the best they bowled in the match, <laughs> probably in the series. They're taking wickets. They have got Australia looking a little bit frantic. I mean, the game's probably gone because they're so far behind on first innings. Uh, even. Um, uh, started catching a, a reasonable percentage of their chances. Still managed to put down, uh, put down a couple. Joe Root then gets back to the ground after his <laughs> bollock scan uh, clears him to <laughs> to, to um, take the field with the full complement. And England instantly start bowling garbage again. The minor fight back is snuffed out. Then in the afternoon, yet again, the opening batsman uh, this time Hasib Hamid, was out for a duck, the thirteenth duck by an England opener this year. Oh. The previous record for a calendar year was nine. The second wicket puts up some resistance, so Root, sitting there with his aching nutsack, thinks, oh, wow, there's a small chance that I might not be coming in at call for two for once, that gladdens both my soul and my recently mashed up knackers. Immediately that thought goes through his head, David Milan is dropped, and he thinks yes, this is my, and then Milan is our LBW by the time that thought can even get through his head. Root goes to the crease, he grinds it out for an hour and a half of dogged resistance, ten minutes to go to the end of play, and England having a vague shot at having at least a bit of a shot, of a shot at getting a draw and emerging with at least dignity and hope. Ten minutes to go, ten waffer-thin minutes. Mitchell Stark bowls around the wickets, a 90-mile-an-hour howitzer. Any guesses where it ends up? Yes, right into the same nutsack that got crunched earlier in the morning. The
2: very same.
0: I've never seen a player look in such pain. There was just a look in Joe Root's eyes that wasn't just pain, it was looking up to the gods on Mount Olympus saying, why do you hate me? It was
1: the last ball of the day. His day's cricket was bookended by a nut shot.
0: Well, well, it wasn't the last ball of the day because then he recovers, Nish. He gets back. It takes him about five minutes. And Mm -hmm. as Oscar Wilde said, to be (laughs) flunked in the crunkies once in a day by a cricket ball is considered (laughs) unfortunate. But anyway, also, to make it worse, while he's writhing around in agony, in grand cricketing tradition, everyone else is laughing. Why (laughs) is it still funny? Why does everyone laugh when someone takes a cricket ball in the bollocks Answer, because humanity is inherently flawed. He makes it to the final over of the day. Second ball, obviously his footwork's a bit scrambled. He's battling everything to try and last the day. He pushes at one, edges to the keeper, and he's out. And England's hope is
1: snuffed out. Can you have a worse day in cricket than that, Nish? I think the only way it would have been worse is if he had got out on the nutshot ball <laughs> because he had been struck in the nuts... And one of his nuts had actually, the force of the blow had forced (laughs) one of his nuts out and the nut had flown into the stumps and knocked the bales off and he'd been out hit wicket. Right.
2: Then he got a photo message of Pat Cummins with his wife. (laughs) That is the only way. Do you know that when he was getting, like when the the team doctor was out on the field trying to have a look under the towel, Spider Cam (laughs) tried to sneak a peek. Oh, no. And it got shooed away. And I heard that, look, this is second, this is anecdotal. They
0: up jockstrapped Joe Root, did they?
2: Yeah, yeah, they tried to. A network that will remain unnamed. Needless to say, it's owned by Murdoch. They played the image of him getting hit and then they played yakety sacks over it.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, no. Oh, no.
2: I mean, his sack had already been yakety.
1: <laughs> I love the fact that we're all, because i read that and, the, and people seem to blame the camera. As if Spider-Canber had itself become sentient. (laughs) As opposed to there was a bloke in an office going, oh, I've got to see this. I've got to see this. Shit. How powerful is the zoom on this? (laughs) Someone trying to fire up the Hubble telescope to get a look. (laughs) Oh, mate.
2: It's the worst
1: individual day I can possibly think of off the top of my head that I've seen a cricketer experience.
2: Yeah, well... Let's go back to Steve Smith or Tim Payne, and and maybe. Yeah, I maybe. mean certainly
1: this has got to be the Ashes series
0: most dominated by captains' genitals that there's ever been, <laughs> it, I would think. Wally Hammond obviously captained England in, in some Ashes series, so there would have been certain goings on then, But I think he was up against Bradman. I don't think his his William balls ever came into play really.
1: Bradman wore a box at all times, just in case a cricket match <laughs> broke out. He was he was he was padded up in bed. <laughs>
2: Sorry, honey, a game might start while I'm asleep. <laughs> Back off. The cup stays on. Why haven't we invented a cupped undie? Why is there not an undie that, is bit, that has that just got, comes with the cup?
1: I don't know. I would definitely wear one just if a uh, like, night out in Croydon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They're so sensitive. They should be protected at all times. Nature's cruelest people...
1: mistake, the ball bag. I'll cruelest. Say I'll say it again. The cruelest joke of human evolution, the human ball bag.
0: I mean, yes, you'd probably, you'd probably, if that piece of clothing existed, you'd probably wear it at, you know, for example, if you're giving a speech at a cricket charity lunch. I yeah. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> He's
2: got bread rolled in the nuts.
1: Yeah, that's the only way that gig could have gone worse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Joe Root threw it. Yeah,
1: is if I'd copped one in the plums. Spider cam in the (laughs) hotel ballroom trying to get a look at my nuts.
2: Microphone cut, yackety sack comes up.
0: Joe, there was some talk um, that after your uh, two unfortunate uh, blows to the abdomen that you can no longer say certain basic phrases. Uh, Can you, for example, say the words... Sat here now. Easy to say that, sat here now. Oh, well done. That, that was a very good job. Nish, before you go, let's... I mean, 2 nil down, 3 to play. We've got Australia exactly where they totally wanted to be. Mm. <laughs> this is something we, we've done throughout the various incarnations of the show. We seek for desperate positives where there are obviously none. So can you just make some up <laughs> to nourish me through Christmas before the start of the MCG test?
1: Well, look, on the plus side, it can't get any worse.
2: Oh. Right. I, oh, I know that... That's okay.
1: even. I, I, I refuse to believe that even That's if... Bright. I would say that even if England get all out for zero on day one of, at the MCG, I don't think it can get any worse than Joe Root bookending a terrible day's play with a nut shot. <laughs> like, that is this cartoonishly horrendous day's play. Wait,
0: do you think if you offered Joe Root that now, if you said... Day one at the MCG, you're going to be bowled out for naught, but you'll only be hitting the balls once. Do you think he would take that? Yes,
1: your testicles will be two perfect circles at the end of this day. (laughs) Your nutsack will look like an exact representation of the start of the day's play, naught slash naught. Like it will be a perfect (laughs) representation of those two things. If you get hit in the nuts with a cricket ball, a lot goes through your brain. Your mind, thoughts can be scrambled. I think he'd probably take that at the moment. I'm not sure it can get much worse. And I think if it does get worse, that in of itself will be something of an achievement. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I think to perform worse than England have done in the first two tests would actually be a laudable achievement. They can always pull an India move and just fly home for no real reason. Oh, that's a good one. And sort of just say some stuff about COVID and just fly everyone out of there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the plan. And I cannot stress this enough, Andy. Our destiny is in your hands. You are going to be at the ground. Right. If you feel a cough coming on, try and aim it in David Warner's face.
2: <laughs>
1: Other than that, it's hard to see the positives.
0: There is one positive, and
1: that's we're getting to
0: the MCG test, the Boxing Day test, one of the iconic moments of the Australian summer, one of the iconic games in, in Test cricket, whoever's playing, and England have not yet lost the ashes. Normally when we get to Melbourne, with the series already already done... This time, they've changed the schedule, so Melbourne is the third test, (laughs) not the fourth test. So we are still in it. Santa is coming, and England are still in the ashes.
2: Great stuff. I've got a list of positives for England. Oh, great. Number one, none of them have smallpox. Right. (laughs) Right? That's good. Number two, Joe Root has a birthday coming up at the end of December. There you go. Something to look forward to. Three, they are not currently in England. Right. That is a positive. They could be in a country that has 93,000 new COVID cases per day. They could be looking out at the window at 2pm and going, oh, the sun's setting, how lovely. <laughs> they assume the sun's setting because it's getting darker, not because they can see the sun. I think that there are, there's a bright side. Also, there's a new species of chameleon that's been discovered in Madagascar. So oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, Look that's outside good. yourselves, boys. It's not all about the cricket.
0: And in fact, the last time they discovered a new species of chameleon in Madagascar was during the nineteen thirty-six thirty-seven series, when one of the teams <laughs> came from two nil down to win three two. <laughs>
2: there you go. Um, that's it.
0: <laughs> we should also emphasise that you know England did bowl well uh, and bat well for a tiny bit, about a hundred balls at a time. So maybe there's something in like creating a format that only requires you know a hundred balls of. Cricketing skill at a time that something the ECB could contemplate to make
1: English cricket.
2: Maybe, lovely idea. Sounds saleable.
1: Tricky to shift the format mid-series. I would say
2: (laughs) that's a negative British attitude.
1: (laughs) Guys, we're uh, we're actually from now on only playing three-day tests.
2: Best out of three. It's three one (laughs) dayers. It's best of three.
0: Nish, thank you very much for bringing us up to date with everything from uh,
1: South London. (laughs) God bless you all, and God bless the English cricket team. I think that's hugely unlikely.
2: As you know, Andy, this is a very painful time of year for me, not only because I'm away from my family, but it reminds me of that one year my sister and I cancelled Christmas so we could watch Shane Warne get his (laughs) 700th test wicket at the MCG Boxing Day test. I've spoken at length about it on this podcast and at any chance I can get. But to try and process the pain, I'm going to say 15 years later, I've finally written a poem about it called The Night Before Cricket. T'was the night before cricket and all through the house. Not an eyeball was shuttered not even my spouse. We were off to the ashes to see Warney Bowl, to get 700 test wickets, Drum roll. The day was upon us, the crowd were on fire and Warnie, he walked to the pitch like a squire. He skipped up towards it. My sister was thirsty, said, want a Pasito? My head nearly bursted. Sorry, there aren't a lot of words that rhyme with thirsty and my sister's name is not Kirsty. A Pasito, I said, as I turned all confused. Then the crowd went ballistic. I wasn't amused. We had both... Missed the ball we had travelled to see and instead we were looking away from Warney. We did get to see it on instant replay but missing it live haunts me till this day. <laughs> the Pam airs lives within me.
0: It's hard to know what to say after that.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a moving tribute I think.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of the Adelaide review here on the Bugle Ashes Zone cast, which, mm. uh, I mean, it feels eerily familiar, Felicity. Going to the MCG, what can England do from here that doesn't involve some kind of sacrifice of a 100 head of oxen?
2: Going into the MCG, what do you think the England team can do to redeem themselves?
0: Nothing. Uh, absolutely, okay. absolutely nothing. I mean, play better, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Bowl better, bat better, make... Few mistakes and probably sacrifice a thousand head of oxen to Zeus, and I hope that works. Okay. Yeah, sometimes. Okay.
2: I feel like they've done that already, but right. I, I'm sure we can find out. Yeah. Well, wishing you luck moving forward, Andy, and hopefully Thanks. this doesn't continue in the same humiliating fashion <laughs> as it has done for the last two test matches. I just
0: wish you'd learned by now, after all these series, to say that with slightly less glee, but, you know,
2: I can live with it. I don't know if you've met Australians before. I am very (laughs) restrained. I haven't danced once. I haven't stuck my fingers up at you. I haven't just read out the scorecard. I could have done any of those things. This requires great restraint, being as humble as I am.
0: Okay, well, on behalf of the entire (laughs) English cricketing nation, I thank you.
2: You're welcome.
0: We'll be back to uh, analyse England's heroic fight back in the MCG test between the MCG and Sydney. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.